Grab your Bible and turn with me to Philippians. We'll be there in just a moment. Philippians chapter 1. This morning, uh, as we continue our series entitled Fighting for Joy, walking through the book of Philippians, we're going to zero in today on a portion of chapter 1, and it's dealing with at least the category that I see here of suffering. Whenever you're preparing to speak, uh, the enemy comes against you and uh, tries to distract you, and, and whenever I'm preaching on a certain topic, I feel like that just stands out to me all throughout the week, and preaching on suffering is not my most favorite thing to do. I don't like to be faced and made aware of suffering all week long. But I believe that there is hope. I believe that there is power in what Jesus has for us today. And so I want to ask you to press in with me over the next number of minutes and ask the Lord, Lord, what is it you have for me today from your word? Not from what Pastor Brady is saying, but from your word, what you've anointed for this time. Fighting for joy and suffering. I want you to uh, imagine with me uh, this little illustration that I think helps depict uh, what we're going to be talking about today. And when we think about suffering, I want you to imagine that you have gone to the Grand Canyon. Now, some of you are picking up that I love the outdoors, and I love camping, and I love going through caves and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, A year or so ago, a couple years ago now, I had the opportunity to go to the Grand Canyon, and it is amazing. Anybody been there, you've seen the Grand Canyon yourself. I don't mean Discovery Channel or anything like that. I mean, you've seen it with your own eyes. Raise, be proud. It's okay. Raise your hand high. Very good. I want you to imagine that you are there at the Grand Canyon, and you've taken your, your favorite chair, and you've set it up, and you're a little bit ways back from the edge, and you're ready to, to sit and take in the beauty of the Grand Canyon. And you're just going to sit there, and you're just going to soak it all up. And, and as you sit down, and, and you get set and ready to look at the beautiful view right at that moment comes up somebody in their RV that pulls in between you and the edge of the Grand Canyon. I mean, it's just this big, huge Winnebago. It's not some nice, brand new thing that you look at and you can say, wow, that's a, that's a work of art. No, this is a brown and orange and rusted out, gross Winnebago that should have been sidelined a number of years ago, but now it is parked right in front of you in your view of the canyon. I mean, what what would you do? What's your attitude going to be when the beauty of what God has created is covered up by a rusty Winnebago? What options do you have? You may sit back and you may get a little bit bitter and hacked off at this Winnebago. Can't believe this Winnebago is right there. I, I want to see the Grand Canyon, but, but, but no, I have to look at this rusty Winnebago. It's so ugly, it's gross, and it shouldn't even exist, but it's right there in front of me. I can't see anything. I deserve to see the Grand Canyon, but no, I'm, I'm looking at a Winnebago. That guy over there, he can see the Grand Canyon. I can't see the Grand Canyon. There's a Winnebago in front of me. My family's over there. They can see the Grand Canyon, but I can't see the Grand Canyon. It's stupid Winnebago's right in front of me. I guess you could respond in a different way. Some people take this attitude when they see challenge come at them. Well, look at that Winnebago. Isn't that nice? I mean, it's not real pretty, but I'm just going to... I'm just going to stare at this Winnebago. I'm not going to see all of what God's design is and his great things over there. This is what life has brought me, so this is what I'm going to stare at. I'm just going to just smile and look at the Winnebago in front of me. I guess you could also be angry at the driver of the Winnebago. I mean, it's not the Winnebago's fault, and you're certainly not going to have joy in that 
Winnebago itself, stupid driver of the Winnebago, who does he think he is? Could he not see me sitting here? Is there not any other place for him to park? He's going to park right in front of me. I think he did this on purpose. I'm pretty sure he saw me sitting here and he wanted to park right in front of my view. I cannot believe that person. Hopefully by now you're thinking, you know, there's some other options. You could just get up and you could move your chair so you could see around the Winnebago. You could adjust your view so you could see what it is that God is doing. This morning, as we look at joy and suffering, I think this helps us get at one of the secrets to finding joy in our life. When it comes to joy and suffering, the secret is to change our focus, to change what it is that we are looking at, to move our chair and to get a different perspective on what's around us. We need to look beyond the difficulties and not just to say they don't exist, not just to say, well, isn't this a wonderful challenge? I love this Winnebago in my life. No, it it can be rusty. It can be gross. It can be ugly. It can be bad. But would you look beyond it to see something far greater than what is right in front of you? Can we look beyond it to see the amazing things that God wants to do in our life? Through the challenge that's right ahead of us. I love God's word. It is so practical. It is so rich of real life examples. And today's teaching is no different than any other time in God's word. And so as you hold Philippians in your hand, I want you to note that we're going to see two key things today. We're going to see a promise and we're going to see a principle in God's word. The promise is the Bible not only tells us to have joy and suffering, but it shows us how. I love that. God didn't just say, go do this, without telling us how to do that. And through Paul, he's going to talk to us about how to have joy in suffering. And the principle we see in this passage is joy is not found in a single event. Joy is not found in a single feeling. Joy is found in a God-given process of life. Take your Bible and look with me at Philippians chapter 1. We'll be reading verse 12 through 14 together. I'll read out loud, you read in your mind. Now I want you to know, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Paul is giving us some real life, tangible examples of how to have joy in suffering. And and number one is this. If you're taking notes, jot it down. We need to look beyond the circumstances to see God's results. We have to look beyond what's right in front of us to see the results of what God is doing. God wants to use even our chains. He wants to use even the imprisoned moments of our life to bring about good. You might think of your job, and you might say, do I, do I have to have this job? If you knew how pagan and how godless the work environment was, you would understand that I've got to get out of there. Could it be that God wants to use your job, God wants to use the pagan people around you for you to bring his good news message to them? Could it be in that injustice that you're facing in the workplace that God wants you to be an ambassador? It could be 
that there's an amazing thing right beyond that obstacle in front of you that God wants to use you in, and it may require some suffering. I know some people who felt in chains, not just in their job, but I've I've known some people who felt chained to their marriage. And they weren't seeking to get a divorce, and they were, they were going to try to be committed to stay together, but, but they were convinced that this marriage that they felt trapped in was not letting them be all that they could be. Could it be that God could use you and your circumstance that you're walking through to minister, to encourage somebody else? Could it be that God wants to do some amazing work through what you feel like is suffering? Paul says, there is hope when everything looks hopeless We've got to look beyond the circumstances to see God's results. That's what it means to to peek beyond the Winnebago, just to look beyond this and see the great beauty of what God is creating out there. Now, don't misunderstand me this morning. I'm not asking you. I'm not telling you. Paul is not saying to you, just look at that rusty old Winnebago and go, isn't that good? There are many things in life that are so, seem so close to you that get in the way of where you're going that are not good. That are not what God would want. But when we look around, we peek around that and see what God has, even through those moments of suffering, He can bring about great things. Paul didn't immediately see the results of what God was doing. He didn't see Rome change overnight, but yet Rome did change if we're training for the olympics you don't train and then get gold instantly but as we discipline ourselves hopefully that athlete after years of disciplining will see some kind of results of their effort and some kind of an award but yet paul is talking about something so far greater than an award it's talking about what god is doing in our life paul wants to prepare us to see what god is doing in us God wants to encourage others through our suffering and witness to the world. Could it be that you are facing something that could be a great blessing to somebody around you? I want you to think of the problem that you are facing right now. Now notice I didn't say if you are, because everyone in this room is facing a problem of of one kind or another. I want you to think of that problem that you're facing right now, and I want you to ask yourself this question. How could God use this problem to help me witness to the world around me? How could God use this problem to help me witness to the world around me? If we're honest, we can see all kinds of parallels here. Romans 5, 3 through 4 says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. We've got to look beyond the circumstances to see God's results of what he is doing. Paul continues on. Let's look at verse 15. It is true that some preach, some preach Christ out of envy, out of rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 17. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter, Paul says? The important thing is that in every way, 
Whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Friends, this is God's Word. This is not Oprah giving you a motivational speech. This is not some kind of fun thing to say on Sunday morning. God's Word is true every time. And Paul lived it out in the midst of the early church, and God wants us to get a hold of this principle of joy in our life today. We live in a culture that that doesn't want to understand a theology of suffering. We want to have some kind of removal of suffering. I would probably make more friends if I would tell you today that if you follow Jesus, if you follow these ten steps, you will never ever suffer in your life. But Jesus doesn't teach that. The Word of God doesn't teach that. We find in Scripture that through our suffering, we accomplish what it is that God wants to do. He can do some amazing things in us and through us. In church, it's time that we embrace and understand that suffering is not just a part of life, but at times, it appears to be this is a part of God's plan. Well, how can this be and what does God want to do in us? To be able to grasp this, we not only need to look beyond the circumstances to see God's result, write this in, we need to look beyond the personalities to see the priorities. Looking beyond the personalities to see the priorities. As we look beyond these people in our life, we can begin to see what God is really up to. If we can catch a hold of this truth of what Paul is teaching, I believe it can change our life forever. See, when life gets hard and and things begin to go wrong, I think sometimes we could handle the circumstances. We could handle the challenge or the suffering in and of itself. And that's not what pushes us over the edge. But when we come across people who want to do wrong against us, who want to hurt us, who love to kick us when we're down, we just don't know what to do with that. It's the circumstances of life and then somebody who wants to come right up against you and hurt you and speak against you that you say, what is this? But Paul says, look beyond the people and see what God's priority is doing. Friends, there are people in your life who allow their hurt rather than their heart, allow that to guide them the way they live and they take out their hurt on you. It's amazing the things that we can understand of how people respond to us when we see the hurt and pain in their life. And we begin to see that they respond out of their woundedness, and they don't respond out of their loving heart, and and they begin to come against you. And and when we see people do things to us like this, it's hard to hang on to joy. But Paul says, look beyond the personality. Look beyond those people and see what it is that God is doing that really matters, the priorities that he has. Paul gives us a couple things. It's not in your outline. You may want to jot this in the margin. I think they're helpful. There are a couple good ideas. One, it's to forget or not to forget those who are doing things to make it better. When, when life comes at you and, and somebody's doing things to make it worse for you, we have a tendency to only think about that person who wants to make things worse for us. But I think Paul would say to us today, don't forget about the people who want to make your life better. That that one or two people who do wrong against you can seem to overwhelmingly help you erase the 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 people in your life who want to do things well for you and want to help you. Paul is saying to us, don't forget those who want to make your life better. 
somewhere on your outline, on a piece of paper, or on your neighbor, just write the initials of somebody who you feel like just seems to want to hurt you. Now, if the person next to you is those initials, then you're going to have to code it somehow, okay? Don't, don't point at them or hurt their feelings right now. But, but seriously, right? I want you to write down the initials of somebody who appears to want to hurt you with their actions. As you write that down, I want you now to think of somebody in your life who wants to help you, and I want you to write their name over those initials. Somebody who wants to hurt you. If you can't think of anybody, Satan definitely wants to hurt you. He wants to come against you, so maybe you're just going to write Satan's name down. Maybe you're going to write the initials of that person down, that boss, that friend, that family member, that person who you haven't been around in a long time, but you still carry the wounds of how they have hurt you or how they have treated you. Now, over top of that, I want you to write the name of somebody who you know wants to help you. Pastor Brady, I can't think of anybody. Then you just write the name Jesus over top of it. But if you stop and think for a minute, there's more. I want you to think of every person that you know who wants to help you. Write their name. Visually, we need to see there are many, many, many more people in our life who want to help us than those who want to hurt us. And Paul is challenging us, I believe, to get our eyes off of the personalities, those who want to hurt us, and get them on the priority and begin to see there are people who want to help us. Another thing he reminds us, it's not in your outline, but maybe take a note on the margin. Remember what is really important. Remember what's really important. There are these people who were preaching the gospel, and and some with good motives and others with bad motives. They, They just wanted to stir up problems for Paul. If they could be controversial, then maybe his time in prison would be worse. Or maybe they had selfish ambition, and while Paul was in prison, his ministry and his, his following was not as strong, and so this is the time they could step up and really win people over and be the hero of the, the day. And, and for whatever reason they preached, he didn't focus on that person. He focused on the priority. He says, they, they want to get at me. They want to hurt me by preaching Jesus Christ. Well, here's the thing. As they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, somebody's going to hear it. And when they hear it, they may find freedom and salvation in Jesus. And that's not going to hurt me. That, that's going to help me. That's going to advance the gospel. And so joy comes into his heart when he focuses on what is important. It doesn't matter what the motive is. If Jesus is preached, I'm going to be thrilled. I'm going to have joy because that is what is important. The most important thing in life is not pleasing people, it's pleasing the one who has created you and all those other people, and giving attention to him. Paul continues, let's look at verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. Don't miss verse 21. This is one of the most exciting verses, I think, in the New Testament about how to live for Jesus. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What an attitude. What a way to release joy in your life. To live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. 
so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Who is it that their joy in Jesus is overflowing because of your influence? Who is it because of your faithfulness to God, no matter what you're facing, they are seeing the very attitude of Jesus? Paul says, for me, if I die, it's gain. If I live, it's gain. If I'm alive, I'm committed to Jesus, and that's what it is. If the world tries to take that from me and I die, then I'm with Jesus. I can't lose when my priority is on him. Paul is saying it like this. We need to look beyond the temporary to see the eternal. Friend, I'm embarrassed to tell you how many times that something I won't even remember a week later can steal my joy. The temporary things that shouldn't even grab my attention, but but a week later I may not even remember, it can come in and it can steal my joy. And how many times the things that God has promised and given that are eternal that I get forgetful of. I don't know, most of you look pretty human. There's a few of you, I'm not quite sure. And in our humanness, we fall into this trap of right here, right now. We see the thing that is so close, right up to us, and it's, it's as if there's nothing else that exists. We see the rusty Winnebago right in front of us, and God is saying, don't get mad at the Winnebago. Don't think that I'm telling you that the Winnebago is actually wonderful. It's rusty, it's gross, it's orange and brown, and it should have been sidelined a long time ago. Just move your chair. Look around it. Begin to see the amazing things that God is doing. And when we do that, he brings joy into our heart. And by comparison, you go, Winnebago, Grand Canyon, Winnebago, Grand Canyon. And a watching world says, I've got Winnebago's too. Is there a Grand Canyon in my life? Is there a God who is bigger than what I'm facing in my life? There is joy. And Paul says, suffering is not what steals the joy. It's what helps you persevere. And joy becomes your strength in the middle of it. But we've got to get our eyes off of what is temporary and start looking at what's eternal. Friend, I think for the American church, this is an epidemic. We are so focused on what is temporary right here, right now, what I see, what I can get, and I miss everything that is going to last for the rest of my life. How much in my worship do I get sidetracked by the temporary things of how I feel today or what it looks like today or how they noticed me today or if it was organized the way I want it to? Jesus Christ conquered sin, death, and the grave, and that is a truth for all eternity. I love how David Platt puts it. He was feeling convicted when he was on a missions trip of all the things his church had to go through to get to a place of worship. And yet there in the mission field, it was just a piece of paper with a crude picture of Jesus and a section of scripture that was hung on to. No music, no lights, no air conditioning, no programming, and the room erupted in praise. And he fell on his face before God, and he said, Oh God, what is it that I have made worship that I have to kind of get wooed and drummed up and ready to praise you? But if I can look beyond the temporary, and I can see the eternal, all I need is you. And joy can come into my heart. I could be in a prison cell. I could be cursed. I could be made fun of. I could even have people go against me in the name of Jesus Christ and try to selfishly gain at my imprisonment and preach the gospel. And I can say, I can win. 
because my eyes are on the priority. But I cannot have joy if I don't have a gospel partnership. I cannot have joy if the, if the tenor and tone of my life is to see his kingdom come and his will be done. You see, if, if I'm straddling my world and, and God's world, my kingdom and God's kingdom, I'll never understand this joy. You'll hear this message and you'll think, that's dumb. You will. So if you think it's dumb, no, it's okay, because I, I told you, some of you are going to think it's dumb. Because if you've got one foot firmly planted in your kingdom, and another foot in God's kingdom, this makes no sense. None. But if you take both feet and put it in God's kingdom, and you say, I, I have some preferences, but I'm not living for that, then the joy of the Lord can be your strength. And this is what carries us forward. I don't have time this morning, but when we talk about a spirit-filled life, a sanctified life, a holy life, this is what it is. When I begin to say, God, you can have not only my sins, but you can have all of me. I'm going to dedicate my life to you. His joy becomes a strength because we can see what he's doing in spite of what is happening. This is real life stuff. Paul acknowledges. He didn't say, I'm not in prison. He didn't say, I just love being in prison. He said, in spite of this, the gospel is being preached. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. That's what this 21st verse of Philippians is talking about. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Let's look at the final section of this passage before we're through. Verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news is not just a sermon. It's not just a five-point outline. It's not just something that's on a card that we hand out at Easter time. The good news, it's a way of life. He says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you, look at verse 27, stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith, the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been guaranteed, excuse me, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. But what is Paul saying to us here? He's saying we need to look beyond the bad news to see the good news. We've got to look beyond what is right in front of our face to see what is so far better in the good news. The truth of this life is there will be many things that come at you that is bad news. You can try to have self-help talk and, and, and just try to be positive about it. It's bad news. Every way you look at it, it is bad news. But the bad news pales in comparison to the good news. Why? Because Jesus is greater than anything that we face. God is bigger than any challenge we face, and we need to understand that we've got to look beyond the bad news and see how good the good news is. As I said a moment ago, that Grand Canyon is, is the good news. 
The Winnebago is the bad news in front of us. And though that Winnebago, that bad news seems to be so much closer to us, and it's blocking our vision, if we will just change our focus and move our chair and begin to peek around the corner, we can see how good the good news is. And we will not focus on the Winnebago. It's there. It's bad. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. But look how big the canyon is, the creation of what God has in front of us. This good news, it's more than a message. Write it in. It's a lifestyle. It's a way we choose to live. It's, it's how I conduct my very life. Look at verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Respond, live, have an attitude based on the good news of Jesus. This is one of the best arguments I've seen of why a Christian should not be so pessimistic beyond a personality and so down in the mouth to a world around them. Is your good news that weak, that the bad news that's that real just dwarfs the good news? Or could you face that crisis? Could you face that pain? Could you face that betrayal? Could you face that hurt and say, as bad as that is, look how good the good news is. That should affect my very life. In fact, I think Paul tells us there's some good news living here in verse 27 through 30. God gives us a challenge through Paul, verse 27. It says, stand firm in one spirit. That's the challenge. That's the good news living. But then we have a decision. It's a decision that says, I will continue to trust him. If I want to have joy in suffering, I have to make a decision. I will continue to trust him. God gives us another challenge here. Look in verse 27. Contending for the faith. So Paul's saying needs to happen. That's what he's doing by example. The decision we make to live this out is I will not concede to criticism. I, I am going to commit that I'm going to trust God. I'm going to actively put my weight on him. And I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to surrender. I'm not going to concede when people start criticizing me. When they start saying things against me. I'm going to contend for the good news. Friend, if you're not expecting somebody to challenge you, to come against you for your living out the gospel, I need to have a wake-up call for you. Somebody's not going to like it. Now remember, they are going to pale in comparison to those who want to help you. But there's going to be people who come against you responding out of their hurt, not out of their heart. And they take that out on you. But just be ready for it. And say, I am ready, Lord, to have your joy give me strength. Verse 28, the challenge is to be unafraid of those who oppose us. Be unafraid of the opposition. Your decision is, I'll continue to trust, I'll not concede to criticism, and I will not be controlled by fear. How often we are controlled by fear, and it steals the joy that is intended to be our very strength. Finally, in verse 29, we are granted to suffer. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. This didn't win Jesus any elections. This is not what was, was just waved up and down on Palm Sunday. This is the one who causes us to suffer. This is the one who wants us to lead and, and take persecution in his name. But blessed is the one who is persecuted because of me, Jesus says. They've done it to those who've gone before you, and they'll do it to you. Why? 
Because the message of Jesus Christ threatens your kingdom. It threatens the kingdom of man. You cannot have one foot in what you want to do and one foot in what God wants to do and have any peace in your heart. And suffering's going to come from that conflict. But when I put both feet squarely in God's kingdom, I can begin to see that in this fallen world, it's just temporary. And there's something greater that I'm living for. And this action is, I will not be confused by suffering. Church, I believe there are many godly, wonderful Christians who are so confused by suffering that shakes their faith because we're not strong enough from up here teaching that we need to expect suffering to happen. God wants to bless you. I'm not saying that it's gloom and doom, but I'm saying this life is so short, and there's things in this life that will come against you. We need to acknowledge there will be Winnebago's that park right in front of you, and they are nasty. Don't say that they're wonderful. Don't pretend like they don't exist. Don't get angry at the Winnebago. Don't get angry at the one who parked the Winnebago in front of you. Just move your chair. Just begin to look around and see how amazing God is. And even though this life has things that are not comfortable, there is a life that is so far greater. To live, I have Jesus. To die, I have gain. There is a joy that is deeper than any day off will ever bring you, than any vacation will ever bring you, than any pay raise will ever bring you, than any boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse will ever bring you, any pleasure in this world. It's a joy knowing that the one who has created the universe is the one who is fixing your eyes on him, not on the stuff around you. This is the word of the Lord today. Hopefully very few of my words But when we sing about the cross, we have a perfect example of what it means to look beyond the circumstances. Jesus, hanging on the cross, looked beyond the circumstance to see God's result and forgiveness of sin. And he found joy. He didn't say, I enjoy being crucified, but he found joy knowing that God was going to bring good out of this suffering. Jesus on the cross gave us a perfect example of looking beyond personalities to see God's priorities, His purpose. Those who hurled insults at Him, those who betrayed Him, those who wounded Him physically and in every other way. He looked beyond it to see that there was a greater purpose. Jesus lived this out in a perfect example for us. You want a perfect example of being able to look past the temporary to see the eternal? Look at the cross. You want to see a perfect illustration of looking beyond the bad news and to see the greater good news? Look at the cross. Look at his death. Look at his burial and then his resurrection. Paul is not giving you this sermon from his own originality. Paul is only re-teaching and re-preaching what he saw in Jesus. I'm not coming to you today with anything wise or persuasive or creative in my own thought. This is the message of what Jesus Christ has lived out before us. And I think it's time for somebody here today to get on the victory side of suffering. Now hear me, I am not making light of what you're going through. 
I'm not saying that it wouldn't break my heart if we had time this morning to stand you up and have you tell all the background details and all the information. It would break my heart. It would move me to tears and probably the rest of this room. But the point today is not that there's not some nasty thing parked in front of you, right in front of your face. The challenge today is that God can bring good out of a horrible situation. God can bring joy in your life. And if we start living saying, I'll wait until everything is fixed. I'll wait till there's no more pain. I'll wait till there's no more problems. You will never, ever come to the place where you can experience victory. But if I say right now, God... In the midst of this, I don't even have the strength to get up out of my chair and move a position. But if you today, Father, will take my eyes and turn them to help me fix them on you, I believe I can have joy in you today. In a moment, we're going to pray and we'll be out of here soon. But don't miss what God is wanting to do in your heart and life today. In a moment, we're going to pray. And there may be many of you who just stay seated, and I believe there's victory there. But I believe there's one or two that you just need a brother or sister to rally around you. So I want to ask you to do something different today. I'm not going to put a microphone in your face. I'm not going to call you out by name. I'm not going to have you come up front. I'm not going to have you kneel here. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I just need support for me or someone close to me today. I need extra prayer in a moment. Not yet. I'm just going to have you stand right where you're at. Stay at your seat. No one's going to say anything to you. You don't have to say anything. But I'm going to ask people to put their hand on your shoulder and pray with you. If you're here today and you say, I I need extra prayer, I want to want to, but if I'm honest, I don't know if I have enough strength to sidestep the Winnebago to see how good that God can be in in spite of all this. If that's you today, right now, if if you would just stand where you're at, I'm not going to embarrass you, but we want victory to come to you. You just stand where you're at, and we want someone to come beside you. Very good. As soon as someone stands by you, you put your hand on their shoulder. Gather around them. Don't let them stand alone. Come on, church. If someone's standing, you put your hand on their shoulder. Don't let them stand alone. If you'd like someone to pray for you, you just stand. I need some brothers and sisters to come pray with my friends over here. Just stand up. Put your hand on them right there. In the back, I need a brother and sister. There we go. Very good. Just look around. We can pray with our eyes open. It's all right. I don't want anybody standing by themselves this morning. All right. Whether you're seated or standing for yourself or someone else or you're standing in support, let's pray to the one who answers every single time. Father, I thank you. That you are the one who raised Jesus from the dead. The same power that conquered sin, death, and the grave is the same power that lives in us. And so right now I pray for my brother and sister who's facing a tremendous obstacle in their way. You know what it is. Some of them may be financial. It may be physical. It may be emotional. It may be relational. It may be something that's far from my mind we haven't even talked about today. But Father, you know everything about it. I pray that you will give them the boldness and the strength today to allow you to scoot their chair just beyond to peek around the corner. I pray that your joy will give them strength that will flood their heart today. Lord, I pray for a brother or sister who's seated for whatever reason. And they didn't stand today, but they're 
their heart is, is, is screaming inside. Remind them they are not alone. That Grace Point loves them. But better than that, you love them. You know their name. You know everything about them. And you are here to offer hope and strength to them today. Now, Jesus, we don't want you just to to tickle our emotional feeling today, but we want you to give us real victory. So I pray that you'll give us the ability to look beyond the bad news to see the greater good news. God, give us the ability to look beyond the temporary to see the eternal. God, give us the ability to look beyond the personalities and people in our life to see your priorities. God, give us the ability to look beyond this suffering to see your results. It's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen and amen. Church, I want to thank you for your worship today. Feel free to stay as long as you'd like and pray and soak in his presence. Don't miss your class. If if you're here today and you've never been to a Sunday school class, I want you to watch this. All right, friends who are going to a Sunday school class, raise your hands real high, proud, keep them up, keep them up. If you've never been to a class or you're interested in going to one, find one of these people. Keep them up. Some of them may look weird, all right? So look to someone else who's not weird and ask them what class they go to and go with them. God bless you. You're dismissed.